Live from Los Angeles, this is Rabbi Eric Sherman and Rabbi on the Sidelines, where we speak about the intersection of sports and faith. This morning, we are joined by Jason Horwitz of Westwood One and CBS Sports, a longtime friend from back in the days of Syracuse University, joining us from the East Coast. Jason Horowitz. Jason, it's so good to not just hear you, but see your face. How you doing? Good, Rabbi. How are you? Do I call you? Okay, so here's the question. You weren't Rabbi when we met. You were like soon-to-be rabbi, college kid, tall, skinny man that I just knew as Erez. Do I that call you true. rabbi now? Do I call you Rabbi A. Sherman? Do I just call you Erez? Where, where do I go with? I think you call me coach on this. Coach <laughs> coach in the synagogue or rabbi on the sidelines. Uh, actually, let me start with that story for everybody. Uh, I was a rabbinical student doing my high holy days in Syracuse, New York, where I'm from, in the Syracuse University, Hillel. And we took a little break in the high holy day action and uh, they, I basically didn't ask the rabbi anything about Syracuse sports. And there was a guy in there that asked me anything. I think you asked me a question about James Theus. And you were like, how do you know this stuff? And then you realize that, oh, I was born and bred a townie of Syracuse, yes. New York. Yes, at which I got a chance to visit with your family at the house. And we had many a uh, winter break time together. And uh, my college roommate, Lauren Canaster, was the president of Hillel. Uh, at Syracuse University at the time, so it was it was it was very much an enjoyable. I don't remember this at all, by the way. You brought that up to me a few weeks ago about the <laughs> stories and this and that. Like I remember being at your house. I do not remember much of the other stuff at all. Your memory is much better than mine. Yes, I don't remember the sermon I gave, but I remember the questions you asked for sure. For <laughs> sure. Well, it is wonderful to have you on Rabbi on the sidelines. I get to do a little bit of what you do on a daily basis, but really, as we spoke a couple of weeks ago, taking it from a different angle faith and sports, especially in today's, um, if you wish, crazy world where we're yeah. dealing with anti-Semitism and Israel and sports seems to be an escape sometimes. Uh, we had Dan Shulman on the show, we had Seth Greenberg. Seth Greenberg mentioned an anti-Semitic incident when he, as a coach of Long Beach State, played against New Mexico. Uh, Dan Shulman mentioned during the Gulf War how he basically went home in the middle of a hockey game and said, in this moment, I need to, uh, I need to be a Jew. I need to stand with my faith. Do faith and sports intersect in the world that you see each and every day? Oh, well, yes. Every day, I, I, don't, I don't know in terms of every day, but the answer is absolutely yes. It has always been yes. Um, and, and just as you visualize uh, the aspect of what I think we think of as religion, you see it all the time. Um, you know, before taking a knee for the national anthem became a, a political conversation, Taking a knee was never anything looked frowned upon, right? Taking a knee was after you score a touchdown and you drop to a knee and you pray. Or uh, players on both teams will, will meet at midfield or after a game uh, and they will pray together, whether it was because of an end of a game or an injury. or anything. Like taking a knee was never a thing that was a political conversation uh, or it was anything, frankly, for that matter, even divisive. It was mm-hmm. just generally thought of as as something that had to do with, with faith. And so, yeah, I think faith and sports always interact. I think, I think there's, you know, just like any other walkers of life, people come from different backgrounds. People come from different faiths and even more now than ever before. Um, all of that in a locker room is acceptable. You know, it, it's interesting because particularly in, during the pandemic, sports almost became a, sports almost became something to latch onto. Whereas if you were pro continuing sports, or pro, uh, or pro, um, not displaying how you feel about activism. Mm-hmm. That you were 
on one side of a political aisle or if you were, hey, we should be a little bit more cautious where sports fits in. And oh, by the way, yes, it's okay to talk about what you believe in and stand up for like the NBA and WNBA. Then you were on the other political side. So like sports during the pandemic has become a little bit more of a uh, split. But Mm -hmm. to your original point, sports has always been the unifying factor. Sports has always been the thing that's been able to bring people back together. It's like, hey, this is what we're watching. I might like my team. You might like your team. But it's just one thing. Um, I'd like to think that that will become the story again. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long. I don't know if, in fact, this is the case right now. But in general, I'd like to think that that is going to be the aspect. And it might very well be, you know, a sporting event come September um, where, where the majority of the country is vaccinated People feel comfortable watching 90,000 people in a football stadium. They mm. feel comfortable being there. Because that's not the case now. Like when the Texas Rangers on opening day had a full stadium, there's no way we were all like, yeah, that's the best thing to do. Let's go. <laughs> um, but but I think hopefully by we get to September and whatever football stadium that is when you're watching it and you're like, that's full. It's the right thing to do. We're good. Then maybe that's the moment where it's the unifying thing again. Yeah, I mean, in June, uh, we're looking at, you know, Full stadiums, possibly for sure. uh, not even outside, but the NBA playoffs as well. Yep. So we'll uh, yep. we'll see what happens. So let's take a different aspect in faith right here, a story that most people don't know about you, but I heard on a podcast, so I'm with public knowledge, that a little faith led you to uh, do what you're doing today in your history of bar mitzvahs. So what was that <laughs> high school job that you had? Because as you just told me off air, that you love people. So you're a people person. Yeah. You love not just speaking with them, but telling their stories. So what did you do in high school that led to what you're doing today? So three parts to this. One, <laughs> one, um, my demographic is more of the price is right crowd. I really fit in with the 60 and older. Come on down. You're the next contestant on the price. Have you been price. to the show? I have never been to the show. Oh but my I, gosh, I've been three times. Get out here. We is, go. It, is it amazing? Do you still have to get up at like 5 a.m. and get in line? Well, right now, you guys, maybe not the case. But like well, before a pandemic, did you still have to get up at 5 a.m. and get in line and get a number? Let's just, say I, uh, let's just a say I was able to get in the connection. door. You have yes. a connection. Of course you do. You have a connection <laughs> to everything. Um, so I, <laughs> I was a, uh, a DJ on our local radio station. And I had I had uh, done like a sixth grade dance in a barn for one of the local schools. And um, so, so I had done that. And uh, somebody approached me like, hey, do you do this on a regular basis? And I'm like, no, no this is just for our, lo- our high school radio station, WBFH, the BIF. I think I got like $25 to do it, right? I got like $25, which, you know, is whatever, 16, great. Um, they're like, well, hey, you know, you should come do this with us. And I'm like, okay. And, and the company was called Joe Cornell Entertainment. And Joe Cornell was what I had taken when I was in sixth grade, where you took the dance classes, where you're, you're the boy and you're with the girl and you learn the box step. And, you know, you're a full arm's length away as you're holding each other's shoulders, not trying to step on each other's foot or anything along those lines. And, and so I had been familiar with Joe Cornell Entertainment and they had done a bar, which are bar and bat mitzvahs when I was in seventh and eighth grade. But I never thought about working for them. And so I... <laughs> Uh, I, I went to work for them, and and unlike a lot of the companies in the area, uh, they, um, you know, where the DJs were behind the table, and they had the MC and the dancers, and it was a really big production. Joe Cornell gave you different options of packages, so you could just get an MC and the DJ, uh, in which case it was me as a dancer with the MC, like parting, like pumping up people, 
or you could get the package that included the dancers and I didn't have to do as much, but you're still in front of the table. So I was very much involved in the Cotton Eye Joe and the line dance and the hustle. And I was very much involved in all of that. And it was, it was an awesome high school job. Not only because like you're, you're, you were, you had the piece of paper that allowed you to be out past 1am for the, whatever the Michigan laws were, where you couldn't be driving at 16 beyond midnight. But also like I was hanging out with college kids who were like, hey, you want to come up to Michigan State and hang out? I'm like, yeah, sure. My brother didn't invite me this weekend. I'm all in. Um, <laughs> so it was it was an awesome high school job. And and it's, you know, like you're enjoying moments. You are part of moments when people are having, hopefully, a wonderful, if it's spiritual, great. If it's second, whatever it is, just a wonderful moment for their family. You get to be part of it. And that, that was a nice part of it, too. And so how does that intersect with what you do right now? I think you just hit it right right on right on the head right there that you are part of something that people are experiencing joy with, right? Yeah. And so when I'm watching the NCAA tournament or listening in my car to to you, right? How do you then what are you thinking on the air that says I'm going to bring these people joy whether they're going to win or lose? So I so my my perspective on all of that has changed. So I so I grew up 100% everything about my life, kind of like how you felt other than the other side of the, being a rabbi. It was all sports. It's all I talked mm-hmm. about. It's all I wanted to do. It's all I did. Um, almost to the point of like, so when I first went to a Michigan game with my uncle, who's the one who got me, uh, helped me fall in love with sports. The next year when I came back uh, from Michigan, Minnesota, I heard from the guy behind, oh, you brought that kid back. And my uncle was like, yeah. And I'm like tugging on his arm. I'm nine years old. I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, oh, you're the kid that asked all the questions last year. <laughs> mm, <nice laughs> what does that nice. mean? What does this do? Um, but, like, I used to think it was so serious, and you had to, like, everything had to be delivered correctly. And if you said something wrong, it's a lot more go with the flow, right? And I know you were referencing the NCAA tournament, and people live and die with the tournament. And, you know, like, you live in Los Angeles. UCLA in Woo! the Final Four. Amazing nice. run, right? Amazing run. And then they get their hearts broken on a – forever memorable moment right that will go down in history as one of the greatest moments in ncaa tournament history and so like you want to meet that moment but at the same time like we're delivering it to you like a fan you know the whole aspect is it doesn't have to be of this authoritative aspect on sports about how it's you know like seth greenberg is very much in that but my role is more along the lines of let's live it together you know, yes. we are enjoying that together. We are breaking it down. We're talking about it. We have access that you don't, but we're breaking it down together. And that's a, that's a really, really nice thing. So we're going to go back to, I believe, 2005, because you just said your opinion changed. Um, yeah, that your, your opinion changed and how you broadcast sports. So we're going to look at what you thought going out of college in 2005, and then we'll chat about that class okay day hall room 317 i think i think is what it was um you know what honestly when i came to syracuse i wanted to be a play-by-play guy uh and that's exactly uh what i try to do that's why i worked at waer and some of the other internships that i had during the summer it's kind of veered off of that since i got out of syracuse i'd still like to call some games um over the course of however long i'm in the business but uh that was what i wanted to do but uh, there's something exciting about live TV, whether you're doing a game or you're in a studio. The rush of, all right, you're on in 3, 2, 1. And um, I think anyone who's ever done anything in live TV, whether it's a producer, a director, or behind the scenes, or even just a production assistant, they get the, that same rush and adrenaline of, all right, you go and don't stop because nobody else is stopping. 
So I'm gonna actually ask you something. I look the same. Nothing <laughs> changed, not at all. <laughs> yeah, that's why they you have to, that's why they hide behind the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Can you see? So, do these look like uh, old old man lines here? They they exactly, feel like old man lines. Exactly. I'm gonna those? I'm gonna you turn the those. ring light off behind the computer here as well. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about the pandemic and broadcasting sports, like you said, not traveling, but really dealing yeah. with that live audience. Um, I had the same experience just three weeks ago when we opened our doors again for the synagogue that my wife and I, both the rabbi with me, we were doing Zoom Shabbats. And all of a sudden, somebody said back to us, Shabbat Shalom. And we literally just wept in yeah. tears because we had that experience. So take us through the live moments. You know, you're um, after the UCLA game, you're in a studio in your house or whatever, talking with Doug Gottlieb. In the moment, yeah. what is that like and how does that feed on what you bring to the audience? So that can be in a lot of different ways. So um, this past uh, this past uh, Wednesday and Thursday was my first was my first game in person. Uh, I did the Big East men's lacrosse national semifinals or the Big East men's lacrosse semifinals. And I was in Providence to do it. Is that the Bryant game? Uh, no, 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 no. That was so, uh, Georgetown, like this is last week, Georgetown, uh, played, uh, Georgetown played Villanova and Denver played Providence and, and, you know, the Got winner it. of the biggest tournament gets the automatic bid, just like other, every other college. Got it. So, so I, I had done that, but I had not been in a venue since February 29th, 2020. I have traveled a couple of times over the last, over the last uh, year and a half. Um, I traveled out to Los Angeles. That's where we did our studios for the NCAA tournament. And then I was in Cleveland to do the NFL draft. But the NFL draft still on radio. You're there, but it's still a little bit different. And and we didn't have the audience in front of us. We were put aside. And, and so it's still, I mean, we were together, but it could have been a studio. But for this, it felt different because you watch the players warming up. You're seeing their excitement. You're walking past them to get to the booth. Um, you have people around you, all of those things. It wasn't a full stadium or anything like that. It wasn't, it wasn't what you become accustomed to when you're doing all this. But one of the things that I've you – know, you played that clip about saying I wanted to go to Syracuse to be a play-by-play guy, and you know, there's the rush to the studio. All that's totally true. When the NCAA tournament music comes on, even though I'm by myself or with Doug in a studio or, or whatever that is, it's still that here's Jason Horowitz, and like you get excited, and that's awesome. One of the reasons the last seven years that I've gone back to calling games and, and will continue to do that, when you are sitting in a stadium, when you are sitting in a basketball arena and it has people in it, they're there because they care. Mm-hmm. But also they're there because it's something to do. And the last game I did before the pandemic, you know, it wasn't – I know you had Dan Schulman on. It wasn't Duke, North Carolina. It wasn't Michigan, Michigan State. It wasn't anything like that. It was Bradley Loyola, Chicago. For the uh, uh, and the winner won the Missouri Valley Conference regular season, and then the Missouri Valley tournament was going to be the next week. There were eleven thousand people in the Peoria Event Center or whatever. There, everybody uh, cared. Everybody there because it's a small town, yeah. right? It used to be a bigger town. Uh, it's a small town with a school like Bradley in it that is the center of it with history, but that people generally don't talk about. But to them. It matters. And so one of the things that I started doing when we're at arenas, and obviously it's been a couple of years since I've done it, um, in the middle of a game, I tried, and I put a little on a little post-it note just to remind myself to do it. At some point, or sometimes two points, I will take my headset off 
in the middle of a game while we're in a call, when I know I have a few seconds, just to hear. Because nice. like, you hear the crowd noise piped into your headset. Like, that's normal. You get that, and you can get different volumes and all that stuff. That part's normal. But it feels different when you actually take it off like you are sitting in the stand. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the, the first time I ever did it is at Rutgers, actually. Because at Rutgers, um, they're crazy stadium, basketball, yeah. the rack, oh right? Basketball. Yes, and now that yes. they're good, like you haven't been out here since they've been good. Now that yeah. they're good, that place has got ten thousand every time, and it's like a uh, what is it, a trapezoid? Yeah, a trapezoid, right? So the sound is just straight up, right? Everybody, but the broadcast position isn't on the floor for basketball. Right. It's, it's like one right in there. Yeah, you are right in there to the point where a woman once told me <laughs> for a women's basketball game, she turned around, she said, "Can you quiet it down, please?" Yeah. Last time I was there was when Carmelo Anthony played for Syracuse and they lost. That was one of their four losses of the year, and I never yeah. went back. So. Yeah, yeah. What was that, Ricky? Ricky uh, Quincy Doobie? Was it Quincy? Yeah, Doobie? yeah. And like a three off the backboard. It was yeah. crazy. But like that's something really cool. Like that's you know that's what we all live for, right? You all live the 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 best environment that I have been in to call a football game. I've been in a lot of great environment, Super Bowls, national championship games, but to actually do the play by play. I've done Michigan, Wisconsin in the big house, which was a like a long lifetime thrill as growing up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the year after my mom passed away. And I was asked to call the Michigan, Wisconsin game for Westwood one. And I remember I stayed at my dad's house and I remember driving to Ann Arbor that morning, just thinking about the fact of like, I've made this drive dozens of times, mm-hmm. but now I'm making this drive uh, as this, this dream moment for a career. And then the other was at Wisconsin. Like when they talk about jump around at Camp Randall Stadium and you feel 90,000 people shaking you, it's totally true. <laughs> and, and Wisconsin, Iowa for the Big Ten West Division a couple of years ago was unbelievable. So you talked about a dream and that being your dream. But yeah. uh, let's talk about dream job and how that yeah. was a break in your career um, as a college student. And uh, I think that also related a little bit to the bar mitzvah piece and uh, <laughs> your, your dancing and acting. So it does actually. So Dream Job, so the auditions for Dream Job, and for people who don't know, Dream Job was kind of like American Idol for East yeah. Coast Center. They wanted if they were it was basically the same thing. They held auditions in different cities across the country. And from those, let's call it ten cities, they whittled it down to a semifinal in New York City where you had to audition again for at the time the guy who was the head of their talent department, Al Jaffe, among others. And I didn't know any better. I was like a junior in college going into my senior year. And so I went, I drove down to Washington, D.C. It was on my birthday, actually. I auditioned there and they like put 10 of us around a, like a cocktail table. And they just went around like, all right, give us your best call. Right. And so I pretended I was Ernie Harwell, who was the Detroit Tigers play-by-play guy growing up. And, and that's all I ever wanted to be. And I gave a home run call that he did. But like I did it like how I always do things, loud and with energy. Yes. Like, that's all they were looking for because they were making a TV show. They just wanted someone to have energy and be loud. If they found someone who could actually be on TV or radio, great. But they just wanted someone who would have some energy, right? Uh, which, I did, again, I didn't know that at the time. So, so I did that in D.C. I drive back up to Syracuse. I turned 21 that day. And, and I get the call that, I, hey, you made the uh, next phase of the audition. So I went down to New York City. And they said that you had to prepare something to – I don't remember if it was to wow the judges or to impress the judges or whatever. I had no idea what I was going to do. So I, I went back to my old days as a DJ at bar and bat mitzvahs. And, and my, 
my beginning of my audition, before they asked me about anything sportscaster wise or to do anything like that or any interview skills, <laughs> I brought a boombox with me that I carried through the streets of New York. This is summer of 2004. And I played the hustle. Yeah. And tried to get Al Jaffe and other ESPN employees to get up and do a line dance with me. <laughs> And uh, and that was the beginning of my audition for ESPN's Dream Job. <laughs> so funny because, you know, actually, i got to give credit to my mom who was in classes with my brother. And when you came for Shabbat dinner, my mom was like, that's the guy that did the hustle on the Dream Job. <laughs> <laughs> so a shout out to uh, my mom for connecting us. I still, I still love Stevie Wonder to this day, by the way. My eyes don't cry no more. <laughs> so you have an energy about you that, like you said, it, it works but you also obviously have the knowledge of the sports and the, the, the talent as well. But you also tell stories that are not on the court, which I love. We talked about taking the headphones off and listening to the crowd. But you also told the beautiful story, I believe, was Morehouse State and the cheerleaders. <laughs> how, do you, how do you find those off-the-court stories and say, this is what yeah. people want to hear at home? So t- t- tell us about that. those cheerleaders. So it was Moorhead State, and uh, Moorhead State is about an hour away from Lexington in Kentucky. And um, – you know, it's a, it's again, these are small schools. So the blessing and the curse, right? We all get into this and that we want to be doing the national championship game. We want to be doing the Super Bowl. We want to be doing whatever big college, big game. And you have, by the way, Jason Horowitz, Westwood one has been on those fields. And I, I, I am blessed in that aspect of it. I love the fact that I've been the, the, the host of the NCAA tournament. This was my, uh, well, I guess the pandemic cut one off. So this was my seventh year as the host of the mm-hmm. tournament. I've done every Final Four in some capacity since 07, and I've done four Super Bowls and all those things. And I've watched them. It's amazing. <laughs> but but, but, but what, if you just kind of keep your eyes open and, and your ears open, you find stuff that you have no idea existed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I Moorhead State is in the Ohio Valley Conference, and so is Tennessee Martin. And earlier that year, we were at UT Martin, uh, which is actually where Pat Summit began. She played at UT Martin before she became the legendary – the former, you know, obviously she has passed now, but before the, the Hall of Famer at Tennessee that really got women's basketball going. Um, Tennessee Martin had just won a national rodeo championship. And I didn't know that except for the fact that every college campus that I go to, I visit their bookstore. Mm, and when nice. I was in their bookstore, I saw a shirt that you could buy that was UT Martin Rodeo. So I, 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 I asked our producer, hey, can we get anybody to shoot this X, Y, and Z? And it was last minute, so it was hard. But what we found out was that my analyst, Mark Jackson, not of the St. John's yeah, and yeah. Knicks fame, but Mark Jackson of Temple fame and played a long time in the NBA, right? 6'10", 6'11 guy, rode horses. <laughs> and so Mark Jackson was a roper. And so we put pictures of Mark Jackson roping and we tied it all into UT Martin's rodeo. And it was awesome. Moorhead State, you know, I had talked to their SID, uh, Sports Information Director, right. and at smaller yeah. schools, they're, you know, at big schools like Syracuse and, and Kentucky, like their basketball person is just basketball. Right. Um, their football person is just football. At smaller schools, they're responsible for a lot of different things. And, and their basketball person told me, hey, you know, um, we just won our 43rd, I think it was, cheerleading national championship. And it comes in different forms. There's individual, there's dance, there's pyramid, there's whatever. But they just won. So <laughs> there was nobody there. Kentucky basketball was playing a game at noon Eastern, the same time that we were doing our game, Moorhead State. And I don't even remember who Moorhead State was playing. But the cheerleaders were there. And so at halftime, you know, we had set it up that I was going to 
go up in the pyramid <laughs> with Moorhead State. And we filmed it and we shot it. And and I was terrified. Have you ever been on the top of a pyramid? I have not. The closest I've been horrifying. is to the top of an arc. <laughs> it is absolutely horrifying. Um, but like I, that's the type of stuff. And, and the radio show that I've been, been doing for the last few years with Sirius XM, um, like it allows for this type of stuff too. One of the other things mm-hmm. like um, do you know that there's collegiate meat judging and that's a, it's a competition. Do you know this? Uh, there's the kosher deli one. And then not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not about the kosher cut. Um, but like, you know, just like when you get a grade of beef, when you get a grade of a, a certain type of sirloin or a chuck or whatever it is, someone had to make sure that that was done properly. And that's like a mm-hmm. good cut. So all around the country, there are universities that specialize in meat science. And, and we were having a conversation dead in the summer, you know, it's college radio, it's May or June. We weren't really breaking down the upcoming season yet. And we were talking about all these random sports that colleges host. (laughs) And we came across collegiate meat judging and Oklahoma state was the defending national champions. And we (laughs) called their coach later that day and we booked her for a spot on the next day's show. And like she and I have now developed a relationship. Her name is Gretchen Mayfee. She went to Texas Tech. Texas Tech is also great at meat judging. So there's a rivalry, but she's the coach at Oklahoma State. And like a year later, she brought Oklahoma State because they were doing a competition in Pennsylvania. She brought them up to New York and they were in the studio with me, the team, to do a spot. And like, like that blew my mind because like Ohio State's good at meat judging, Colorado State, Texas Tech, whatever. And and like that's those are the things you find out if you just kind of just enjoy it, right? Um, yeah, no, I love the more. enjoyment. It's not. It seems like it's not work for you. It's the <laughs> finding the story that, as you said in the beginning, actually brings joy and a sense. I don't want to just say entertainment, but a sense of connection with with people. Like you yeah. said, you, okay, you brought them in the studio, but you actually create this relationship with the people. Yeah, and that that's been my one of my favorite things about you uh, as well, well over the years. You know, one of the things, and like this is what you're doing right now. Like you're the interviewer today, and this is great. But like. Okay, when you bring someone on for a radio show that's not a podcast, so you are const- you know a little bit constricted by commercial breaks, uh, or in our case with Westwood One, you know because of pregame show lengths, our interviews air four minutes, but we'll you know the coach and I will talk for ten or twelve. I, you you're sure you're asking about the upcoming game, you're asking about the storyline, and like they all that stuff, but they're asked that stuff six times a week, right? You know, and 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 I'm more interested about particularly in the last year with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. What are you doing at home? Mm-hmm. Oh, you built a pool? Great. What What are your favorite strokes? Oh, you don't actually know how to swim? Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> you know, like that type of stuff. Like that, I find that stuff far more enjoyable than everything else. But how do you dig that out, right? Because you're right. A lot of people are saying, you know, Coach Beheim is the zone defense going to stay even though the press isn't working? Or, you know, right. how do you dig that out of people? Is it the research? Is it just like – how do you allow people to express themselves in a way that they usually wouldn't in any other way? So I'm not very intimidating. That's a, <laughs> like, like I'm generally pretty like, uh, uh, like this, right. Mm-hmm. When, even mm-hmm. when we bring on guests, um, you know, you bring them in, you bring them into the conversation that you're having, right. If, if it's something about yesterday, we were having a conversation about butt dials, <laughs> uh, on our show. And like, just because, what show is this? So everybody knows. Uh, so, so on Sirius XM, I, I host uh, college sports today, which is one to four Eastern on ESPNU channel 84, but also I do work on the big 10 channel and, and the right. ACC channel, um, which is three seventy one for ACC and three seventy two for big 10. Um, 
on SiriusXM. But but like we were having a conversation about butt dials because someone texted me. They called me and I said, hey, I can't talk right now. And they're like, oh, I didn't mean to. It was a butt dial. And it was during the show. So I, so I just brought up this idea. Like, I really believe that 70, 75% of, of, of people who tell you they butt dialed actually meant to call you. But they don't want the embarrassment of you be like, I can't answer right now. Interesting. And, and so like that became like four or five minutes of just general whatever. And we had an interview scheduled and he came on and he, and he's listening to this as like we was waiting for 45 seconds. So then we got his take on it. So like it just, you know, some people are into it. Some people only want to get in and get out and they're just doing it because they have to. And you get that sense pretty quickly. Yeah. But if they're into it, then like those are the things that are, you know, they humanize coaches you know they yeah no the it's not players. just coaches though i think it's also human beings i mean i had coach Beham here for 45 minutes and i yeah. didn't say a word because he was talking about his two hairs he owns on the horse of the uh, you know in the kentucky, kentucky derby. derby yeah um, but like to talk to a, a, a hero of mine like coach Beheim and to talk about the work that he's done in special needs that he doesn't publicize right that i've seen um or to talk about uh, coach phil martelli about coaching versus cancer and why he wants yep. to crush cancer to talk to chelsea hopkins who played in wmba who's now in israel who today i reach out to her to say how are you like those relationships i i, I called it yeah. I, I call it beyond the ball right and i think what you're amazing at is bringing those uh human interest stories um beyond the court and that's why personally i love tuning into you and hearing not just your voice but also the stories that you do bring well, to us the other stuff with that Areas is that you know um that's that doesn't just have to be for obviously this medium uh or 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 this line of work i mean that's just daily life right um you know i'm, I'm coaching second grade softball my daughter's in second grade and i'm coaching second grade softball and we have 14 kids which by the way is way too many on a softball team in second grade where the ball never gets to the outfield and you have to play all 14 kids at every single time the entire game <laughs> all right so that's just a separate note but like i i have tried to take it it's like what do you like to do find out their interests right mm -hmm. and i'm not a coach i i am definitely not a coach i love um like having these kids have fun and all that stuff i, I am not a coach in that regard but like Good coaches get the best out of their players because they care about their players and they find out what is the best that, the, you know, obviously at a higher level makes their players better. But they, a player will play his or her best for a coach that they believe actually cares about them and, and has some kind of knowledge or interest about them or remembers the simplest things like names. Mm -hmm. right? Like I, a parent was shocked a couple weeks ago that I remembered another parent's name. But, like, that's the simplest thing we could do mm -hmm. is names, mm -hmm. right? But, like, even that became politicized this year when Kamala Harris was running for vice president because people were like, oh, I'm just not going to – it's just a name. I can't. Maybe it's just a name. The name is the thing that you hold most sacred. It is the thing that you should learn. Um, I and, love that yeah. moment, actually, right there. And you mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago that you're actually involved with your own uh, faith community, specifically in membership welcoming. Yeah. And we talk about that all the time, that somebody can walk into a sacred space every single week for a, whether it's Sunday church service, Saturday Sabbath service, and nobody will know their name. And right. They, how does that name mean something, not yes. just to them, but actually to the whole community well, as well? We all have a, a need for belonging, right? You know, um, I, my wife kids me all the time that I have FOMO, uh, fear of missing out, which is totally true. I've mm -hmm. always wanted to, I always wanted to be one of the cool kids and I never was. Um, <laughs> you made like, it on rabbi on the sidelines, Jason Horowitz. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, that, 
today, I think, I believe this is, if it's today or yesterday, but like mental health awareness day, mm -hmm. right? And it may be a week. It might actually even be an entire month. But I think as we get older, you realize everybody's going through something. And sometimes we don't take the time to stop and realize that someone's actions towards you, conversations with you, you know, you're like, oh, why are they feeling that way? Why are they saying that? What did I do to that? It's not about you. It's about what they're going through. And I think, you know, we all have so much going on in our own lives. Obviously, this year has taken a toll on everybody in so many different ways. But but we don't we don't stop to think about um, what someone else is going through because we 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 and this is normal. This is not a bad thing. It's just you internalize it based on how you see it, how you're feeling it, how you're experiencing mm -hmm. it. Um, but those moments when you can stop to to just kind of like sit back for a second and realize something as simple as saying, Hey, how are you? Is maybe, maybe something that actually changes someone's outlook on their respective day. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a, that's an amazing thing. And it's a simple thing. It's like a really simple thing that could change someone's day. And you don't always, you know, appreciate it. And I'm not saying I do it all the time. I no, you know, no, no. Have to stop and remember to do it. Yeah, um, I just saw yesterday uh, somebody within our own community who's going through a lot of angst and challenges, and I watched somebody else say, how are you? What's going on with your family? And that person, like, the jaw almost dropped and yeah. started just expressing how they, were, uh, how they were feeling. And I wrote to the person who did that saying, I don't even realize if you understood how much of an impact you made on that person because yeah. you noticed them. You said, you are a, you count, you're here. Totally. And, and it's simple stuff too. Like people aren't look, obviously there's, there's different levels to this. Some people do need much larger than others, but generally speaking, um, you can change someone's day by just saying hi and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and noticing them or asking them a question and, and focusing it on them. Um, you know, and that's, that's, those are things I've learned a lot later in life. I, and I, I'm not old, I'm 37, but like, we're about to have our third kid and, and we're dealing with our own stuff. And, you know, my mom passed away five years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so like we, we deal with a, a lot of things along those lines. Um, but you know, a buddy of mine, his mom just passed away. And for the first couple of weeks, I was checking in on him every couple of days. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I realized it had been a month and a half immediate. Mm -hmm. Cause it's as simple as a text message, right? Yeah. You know that, uh, Obviously, in Shiva, in the Jewish tradition of the seven days of mourning, right? But I always say that the most important day is day eight. Yeah, nobody's in the house, right? right? What do you, what do you do? Who, who's sending that text messages? Who's saying like, "Are you okay?" Right? Day one through seven are, I don't never easy, right? But it's almost this false sense of community. But on day oh. eight, when you're alone, what do you yeah. do? And actually, in Jewish tradition, on end of Shiva, you walk around the block saying, yep. "I'm going to enter the world." Yep. But how? The question is, how will the world? sort of re-enter back into your and, life. And and I was fortunate in that regard. And, and again, my mom passed away at a fairly young age. And I know right around the same time, give or take a year, your brother passed away. In 2017, yeah. Yeah, and my mom was 2016. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had a couple of different spiritual things with, with us because um, my son was essentially conceived the day my mom died. Um, and, and you know, we were going through some more scientific measures and how it was. And, and, and we were living in New York City and my mom, and well, my mom and dad, we're, we're in Michigan. And my brother had called. He had driven up from Chicago. He's like, you know, this is the end. She had stage four pancreatic cancer. And, and it was five or six months from diagnosis to end. Um, but, but, but we made the decision because of the process to get to that point. All right, we're going we're gonna to go with the retrieval. We're going to do this this way. 
And, and, you know, we'll see who knows if it works, who knows if it doesn't, but it's been too much to get through for one day not to be there. And when it was all said and done, we had one, one egg that turned out to be fertilized. And, and, and it's the one that is my son. And it's, it, you know, if you take, believe in the whole idea that, it, you know, scientifically it takes 24 hours or whatever in, in that realm to, to, to happen. Um, then essentially when my mom was dying, my, my son was born to be perfectly honest. I have struggled. Wow. With that. I wow. have struggled with that. Um, wow. because I, you know, they're obviously very different people and he's four and, and you know, all of that stuff. Um, but, 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 you know, there's also something special to that. Mm-hmm. To be honest, when people would bring that up afterwards, I would get angry about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I didn't, that's, that's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on, on different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a lot of beauty in that as well. Absolutely. And memory is something that we, uh, we do well as Jews. We do well as human beings and it perpetuates not just our future, but also allows us to remember our past. I mean, the, the keeper that I wear right here is one that I have not taken off my head since 2017. It was given to me as a gift, really as a gift of blessing uh, for the memory of my brother as well. Um, no, I mean, and it's so fascinating because, you know, we started with the, the fun, the uh, the ordinary, the, the mundane, but what's so important to people about sports. Um, you know, I, like I said, I listened to every one of your broadcasts for Western One, Super Bowl, et cetera. You've been on those fields. You've interviewed the greats. What I highly admire about you is actually you don't change on air or off air because you are a human being that tells a story and that um, finds the important stories that also need to be told as well. Yeah. So back to the mundane just for one <laughs> moment because I am sitting down the street from uh, Westwood and not Westwood one, but Westwood and Pauly pavilion. Um, and I just want to play one last clip here when before this year, a little while back, but usually was in the final four. And this is what you said with Ben Howland. Hey, how are you folks? And welcome back to Destination San Antonio presented by Coors Light. Jason Horwitz alongside head coach of Columbia, Joe Jones, CBS College Sports Network, Steve Lapis, and CBS Sports is Bill Raftery. Uh, four one seeds in the final four for the first time all time. Two of them are gone. One of those is UCLA. Three straight trips to the final four. First time since Phi Slamma Jamma that a team has lost three consecutive years in the final four without winning a national championship. Are people going to remember this team 20 years from now? And if so, how are they going to remember them? Well, I think 20 years from now, right? And now we're talking Mick Cronin back in the final four from the first four out. I had Joe Lunardi on the show um, talking about this as well. Um, talk about that moment, what you thought then. That's and then 13 years ago. 13 years, 13 ago. years ago. By the way, someone go back in time and tell me it's not okay to wear that shirt. <laughs> well, they, they were making fun after making fun of your sunglasses after that but 13 years ago you said is somebody gonna remember this team two decades from now we're a decade and a half and we're back in the final four lots of coaching changes with um nick cronin on the sides what's going on out here in westwood and what do you see for the future well you know what's interesting about that i i didn't obviously mean ucla as a school or a brand i meant that specific run right and that third right. one of those was kevin love uh, and before that, it was Aaron Aflalo and and uh, and that group. Um, you know, it's funny they obviously have been brought back up. Like we talked about that a lot during their run. But like, Aris, those final four teams were one and two seeds. 
Like those <laughs> those teams were along those lines, right? You know, they were the ones who were supposed to get to the Final Four. I know this UCLA team this year was really good, but like people complained, oh, they weren't an 11 seed. This run to the Final Four proved they weren't an 11 seed. Runs in the tournament don't dictate whether or not you were seeded correctly. They just show how you do over the course of a two and a half week span. And in this year's case, in one location, dealing with COVID tests and all mm-hmm. the other stuff. And, you know, in their case, like UCLA lost one of its best players. They had pros. Uh, and I'm blanking on what his name was, but the guy who was a recruit who decided to go to the G League instead of go to UCLA. So, like, their season was kind of up and down from the beginning. But, like, Mick Cronin is a phenomenal basketball coach. Watched him many times in the garden with Cincinnati. Absolutely. He is a phenomenal basketball coach because he really, getting back to what we talked about coaching, he gets the best out of his players. Mm-hmm. And the guys, all like he doesn't generally have all these big-time superstars. If you go back to Cincinnati, they were grinders. They were good defensive players. He would find some guys that could be offensive, but they weren't like his days at Cincinnati. They weren't all these guys that are like, that is absolutely the most talented team. Mm-hmm. He got a different opportunity at UCLA. But you know what's mm-hmm. interesting? Like he had his own, I don't know that demons is the right word to get through, but like he had his own hurdle to overcome. He had never been, to, I don't think he had been to the Sweet 16. Right. He had all those times at Cincinnati and they couldn't get beyond the second round either. And so not only did they do that with some upsets and then pull upsets along the way, I mean, they, they knocked off a three seed. They knocked off a two. They knocked off a one. They were right there with Gonzaga. I mean, it was phenomenal uh, what UCLA did to, to get to the Final Four. And and I think if I, you know, assuming this stays the course, they're going to be preseason top 10 for sure, probably preseason top five and an expectation to be in that two, three line again next year. Well, the day after I called the ticket office and got a couple of tickets for my kids because it's walking distance and Wait a <laughs> ready minute. to head was over. That, was that your connection again, or was that more of the lines of like, well, we actually have to pay for these? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. They're a paid ticket. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're excited to uh, head to Pauly to uh, see the excitement. You know what? Two years ago, I took my dad to Pauly for the first time. He's like, this isn't the carrier dome. What is it's going on out here? Honestly, like that. It's crazy you say that. So, like, my – I have a – I don't, I can't remember like what we were talking about in 2005 when as you were recalling that, but like my memory for sports stats and things along those lines are there. And they're like generally in chronological order. Like I could go backwards 2021 to like 1990 or whatever and tell you mm-hmm. the Heisman trophy winner. And we probably have a slip up now here, or there. but like, and the same thing holds true for NCAA tournaments and stuff like that. But like, uh, if, 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 if you look at, some of the things that we thought of in high school or college about like, Oh my God, UCLA, the win championships, this and that, and all the things. And then you finally get Pauly pavilion is not as impressive as you think it is. Now it's been renovated and all that stuff and all that stuff, but it's not as loud. You know, there hasn't been as much attention paid. UCLA hasn't been the same. They're still mm-hmm. waiting for the, the days of John Wooden, which nobody can live up to the days of John Wooden, mm-hmm. right? Like that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. But 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 Mick Cronin has a new excitement, right? Absolutely. And I think he'll capitalize on that. And by the way, you know, USC does too. And if USC yep. football ever gets that back, he'll have that opportunity where they'll be there. Absolutely. Um, you know, Chip Kelly, uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> no, and I've been blessed to, you know, as you know, live down the street from the carry dome with that type of big house, loud house environment. Yeah. And you feel it. You feel the community. You feel the need to participate in something actually really greater than yourself. Yeah. So uh, Jason, we are 
honored, thrilled, and delighted that you were able to join us here on Rabbi on the Sidelines, beyond your amazing voice and intellect and knowledge on the court, off the court, Westwood One, CBS Sports, Big Ten Network, Fox Sports. As we like to say, you're a mensch, an amazing, amazing human being, and we are excited to see the future. Jason Horch from Westwood One, right here on Rabbi on the Sidelines. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 